Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Would the clerk please call roll? He's coming now. <laughs> Golic? Here. Lesh? Here. Mansfield? Here. Church? Here. Scoutback? Here. Clock. Here. Thank you. you know, Mr. Bender will not be here this evening, and uh, also our, our alternate Rob will not be here uh, as well. They've notified us uh, previously. Um, so thank you for that. Hopefully everybody had a, a good Thanksgiving, and... Um, with that, we'll move on to the approval of the November 2nd, 2002 meeting minutes. Um, did anybody have any uh, corrections that needed to be done um, other than what was originally sent to us from the clerk? Okay, hearing none, I'll make a motion to approve the November 2nd, 2022 meeting minutes as presented. Do I hear a second? Second. Okay, uh, motion by Scaljack, second by Bartos. <laughs> Discussion? Roll call. Yes. Garland? Yes. Lush? Yes. Mansfield? Yes. Church? Abstain. Scaljack? Yes. Peter Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. I think that is six yeas, no nays, one abstention, if my math is correct. Um, next on our agenda, the chairman's comments. I really have nothing to offer this evening at this point other than uh, we will be, um, as you can see on the agenda, finishing up our discussion on Article 5, um, which is uh, going to be with our Board of Zoning Appeals. And then we'll move on to our uh, Article 6, which is the finances section with our purchasing director. Um, towards the end here tonight, we'll also go over, obviously, our uh, December meeting and then look to schedule a couple of uh, January meetings as well and um, give some final updates uh, as appropriate there. Um, moving along then, as uh, next on our agenda is Article 5, Administrative Officers, Departments, Boards, and Commissions, Section 7, which uh, is our Board of Zoning Appeals section. And we are uh, honored this evening by uh, Chairman Rose and uh, also a former councilman here. So, um, Dennis, it's great to see you. And Thank thanks you. for uh, making your schedule work to, uh, to get us in and, and have a good discussion on the section of the Board of Zoning Appeals. Thank you. And I, I appreciate everyone who's serving on this commission because it's an important uh, job to review our charter, which obviously is going to govern us govern the city for the next 10 years. So I appreciate everyone who's taking their time to do that. I also appreciate um, indulging, delaying, so I could get some input from members of the board, uh, which I have, and I, I will explain sort of how we operate. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, everyone on, who's currently serving on the board um, believe that we operate efficiently, and they had no comments or changes. I believe there are four um, points on the charter that deals with um, the Board of Zoning Appeals. One is the composition of the board, five citizen members, two members of elected members, the mayor and a council representative. I believe that serves well. I know some communities don't have elected officials on it, but I think it is um, beneficial to the board for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which the two elected officials can bring the board's 
um, discussions with to them to the council or in the instance of the mayor who is also on planning can bring information from these meetings that we went, might not get for a minute so I think it's um, beneficial to have the five citizen members and the two um, elected officials plus there are still two people who are voting um, on the board of zoning appeals who are have to answer to the people of Brexville you know the other people other five of us do not have to answer the people of Brexville other than council deciding to throw us off which I don't think has ever happened um, so that's the one thing second is terms I think the five-year term limits are uh, are appropriate um, to deal with that um, I think it's enough time because people can get up to speed we do have people who've served a long time I've served a long time on this board um, I'm in my whatever term it is 22 years I've served on this board and chaired it for a number of years um, and that also is a is a help because in many instances especially with uh, zoning which is a quasi adjudicative adjudicative body because we're making a determination whether you're going to get a variance or not get a variance we make the decision about whether council is going to vote or not going to vote and I'll talk about that last uh, so the fact that you have people who've been there a while and they know the precedent they know what's happened in it I think it's um, beneficial and there's enough turnover I think on the board that it um, it functions well um, the third thing is how they're appointed which is council appoints them taking applications the way they've done through the whole time I think it's appropriate that it's council that it, it does that um, as they are representing a great they all have their own little bodies of people that they know and people that they rep have represent I know they represent the whole city but everyone has their own circle so I think it's um, important that the council still is the body that does it and the last point is um, how we function and we function as the body that hears appeals and we approve and recommend the approval of variances from our building or zoning code it takes four of our seven or four or five or four or four or four or six it takes four to do that when we say no it that's where it stops it doesn't go city council doesn't do it so that's why I say it's quasi adjudicative because when we say no it stops as far as the city's concerned somebody doesn't like it they can um, uh, give Mr. Maddie something to do um, um, but the same token we can't grant we have no power to grant the variance at all all we do is we hear, hear the variance appeal we have a hearing and those who've been here and seen them sometimes they are lengthy sometimes they're not but anyone who shows up has the ability to speak to any appeal that's there so every neighbor can talk about it the appellant can anybody who opposes it so we are the ones who hear all the reasons for and reasons possibly against we can't grant we don't have that power I don't think we should have that power but we then make that recommendation that goes to um, a city council another benefit of having a council representative is they can present to council the whatever number of appeals that we have as they deal with it so that's how we function we we, we I asked everybody in our board whether they on those points they thought anything should be changed any of those things everyone thought it's works fine the way it's been working and it has been working there my whole tenure and you know probably Mr. Mayor probably his whole tenure too has probably been working that same way um, but I think it, it functions uh, functions well um, I'm going to stop here for any questions about how we operate then I know another thing was how we interact with other departments and I'd like to talk about that uh, last but I'll pause for questions
if there are any. Go ahead, Stephanie. Quick question. Yes. How would you feel about adding an alternate or two to the composition of your board? Would that be beneficial? Hadn't thought about that. Um, that's an interesting question because uh, obviously sometimes we have, we don't have all seven, you know, so we have six or whatever. The practice, at least as long as I've been chair, if there's less than six, so there's five or four, because you still need four, I have offered and or, or entertain a motion and the board, the board will allow tabling any appeal. So if somebody doesn't have a full board and there's no reason for them to be quick, they can wait and come back the next, uh, the next meeting. Um, I hadn't thought about it, um, about filling in another, another seat for somebody who's literally gonna be serving, I guess, the same five-year term as a, um, a fill-in. Um, so I guess I'd have to think about that. That's the only thing I think it would address, but I believe our practice of how we allow people to table their appeals addresses that problem if everyone's not there. And generally speaking, we get our seven members. You know, the holidays come and sometimes it doesn't. People have um, things that occur, but generally speaking, people show up. They, they treat it um, seriously. And Dennis, one of the reasons that Stephanie brought that up is we have brought this up with some of the other boards and commissions, not only as a matter of um, possibly filling in when a couple of people are gone for, for voting purposes, but I think also is almost like a, a training ground, so to speak, for somebody who may be interested, you know, maybe as the alternate, it's yeah. for a year or two year term where they're kind of sitting in learning and then maybe they take over for uh, someone coming in. That, I think that was kind yeah. of the thought that we had talked about a little bit as well, if I recall in the in the last meeting, in addition to serving a purpose if, if somebody true, was gone. As a true alternate to, to that. I think it's a, a good idea if people are willing to serve and want to serve, and we can get people to uh, who have the, you know, the, the skill sets. The city council has done a, 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 a good job of having, you know, engineer types, builder types, people who are more aesthetic type, you know, so we have a pretty good base uh, of it. We always, I think, always need an engineer or architect uh, on zoning um, for that purpose. But I think that's not a bad idea at all to have uh, alternates to, who would then, in theory, be stepping up when somebody steps down or, or somebody uh, resigns, mm -hmm. which has happened more than, sure. more than once. So I haven't polled the rest of our group, and I certainly wouldn't oppose that. I think it's not a bad idea um, at all, you know, and they could still, I guess you have to figure out if they participate, if they get right. to ask questions, uh, all of those rules, but I guess it'd be the chair could entertain, anybody could ask questions because mm -hmm. you do that. You have to think about that. Right. Yes, that's a good question. Thank you. Any, any other comments or questions? I'll have a couple of comments afterwards, but right. I'll let you finish up and or right. go to your next item. I will. The, the, the next was uh, interact. We, we interact, obviously, closely with the building department because the building department generally is the one who are bringing our, um, the appeals to us. Somebody comes, there's a complaint, or somebody's coming and they have a plan they're doing, and the building department looks and says, you need a variance, your house is too close to the property line, your shed is too big. Um, you're, you're doing whatever you're, you're doing. Those are, tend to be um, issues that we address. 
So the building department does that. The building department also is our resource. If we need more information, like can you get us inf history information about this property so that we have enough information, we believe we have enough information to make a decision. Um, so we work closely with um, the building department with, you know, principally uh, Steve Sinek, who is our representative from the building department for there. They obviously also enforce the zoning uh, code and they're the ones who then also enforce compliance if we have a variance or we didn't grant a variance to do that, deal with it. Um, we interact with the planning commission in a manner that often things come to us through planning because something will come to planning and there will be negotiated planning for, you know, maybe months. Um, and then planning will approve uh, something, but they'll need certain variances and it's part of a negotiation. So then we it will have minutes. Some of, we're now with being uh, on Facebook or you can watch. We can actually see them if there's something controversial, but before we'd have the minutes. So we can look at the minutes. We can have a sense of what's coming and what they did so we interact with what they do we don't i don't say we rubber stamp we certainly ask questions about what's going on but obviously it's been vetted when it goes through planning it's been vetted um, by planning and planning has done the same process so now we do it again to make sure that it's fine and we also serve the purpose of letting people who in, are in the community have a chance to say yay or nay and we've had some that went through planning, everything improved, it came here, and some vigorous opposition came here, and it changed the mind of some people on zoning and said, you gotta figure it a different way, you know? So we don't necessarily, we never just rubber stamp them. But it, it, we do interact with them because many things come to us um, from planning. Those are the two ways we interact and how we get our, uh, our variances that come to us. Dennis, could you walk us through, for those who aren't um, privy to either been a, uh, someone appealing for a zoning uh, change or someone who hasn't served on that that board can you walk us through um, you know a, a common uh, appeal and, a, and the process go through a, sure. a fence variant someone wants sure. a six-foot fence versus the four that foot never fence. happens <laughs> never never <laughs> someone has a someone bought has a, a dog that will jump a four-foot fence um, Brexville has a fence ordinance, and it's four feet, and there's certain fences you're allowed to use. Brexville is not a community of fences. That was decided by city council years and years and years ago. It's not a bunch of stockade fences, and we're all hiding behind our, our fences. But you can have a variance if there's a reason. So somebody uh, wants to put in a six-foot fence. They generally will have a plan. that They'll go to the building department. We need a six-foot fence. They go, you're not allowed. You can get a variance, and they will come and uh, make an appeal. They have to show, demonstrate a hardship in order to get an appeal. Generally, a hardship is something that if they're doing, for instance, they are right on 21, you know, and their property is such that, you know, dogs are right on the, on the road. We had one of those recently. That's a, they, they move there, but really their property is one that's in a, a very busy area, so that is a factor. It could be the terrain of their property. You know, they have a big ravine, so they can't put the shed where it belongs because they have a ravine. Those are things. Not a list that's um, no, a known list. It's pretty much they have to say what is their hardship to deal with this. And we listen to that. They have to make their case for a, a hardship. And we haven't granted a lot of fences, but we, we have granted them. Some of us are more strident on fences than others um, with that. So they will, will come and uh, have their appeal. The appeal will, will say what their hardship is, what they're asking us to do. Uh, for this instance, if it's a fence, 
that's six foot instead of four foot and they want it to be um, a stockade fence instead of uh, some approved that have two requests that would be in their appeal um, by our ordinances they'll notice they'll get sent out to all the neighbors it's I think it's within a radius Dave um, is where they sent it but I'm not a hundred percent certain but neighbors will, who are going to be impacted by the variance all get notice some of you may have gotten notices because I think they come from me or at least my name's on the bottom of those notices saying there's going to be a, a, an appeal on this date and here's what they're asking to do there's also signs we've, we've all seen the white signs that are the zoning signs that are to be placed in a prominent place usually put in the front yard more public notice that something's going on and there's going to be a, a somebody's asking for a variance so neighbor if you care about it show up um, so that's the process they do show up when they show up we have public hearings on all the variants that are in front of us one through nine or ten whatever shows up that day and that public hearing is when we allow the appellant to show up sometimes with an architect sometimes themselves sometimes with a builder and they can present whatever they want to present usually they present the materials they already gave us you know but sometimes they put more pictures of what their fence is going to look like what their yard looks like um, to deal with that members of the board um, visit the sites it's one of the things that we do with the appeals. We'll go and we'll drive, do a drive-by, we'll go through the yard if it's necessary to go through the yard. So we got a sense of, wow, this fence is really close to this person's yard, and you wouldn't necessarily know that um, from any kind of paperwork. So we'll visit, but visiting doesn't necessarily give us the uh, f you know, full view of what is going to happen. Um, sometimes people talk to appellants. I try to avoid talking to appellants when I'm visiting because I've They'll say, Mike, we're going to get it variance on Monday. I go, don't know. <laughs> Show up. Um, so we have a public hearing uh, on that. They get to speak. Anyone in the, everyone on the board has a chance to ask questions. We have a very active board that asks questions. As chair, I usually ask all the obvious questions um, to get those out of, the, out of the way. Or if I have any curiosity, I'll ask uh, questions when it open up to the board. The board will ask um, questions as well. And then we open it up to the audience. And any, anyone in the audience can speak to an appeal, and they often do. We try to stop them from complaining about the garbage that's there, the music that's played too loud, because we have no jurisdiction over garbage or music. Um, for any of that, so we point them to the mayor, and they, can, <laughs> and they can deal with those. And it does happen where neighbors will show up and they just don't like each other, and doesn't, it has nothing to do with the variance, and that is how we navigate those, but it's always done in a civil way, a neighborly, a neighborly way. So everyone gets to have their peace uh, from it, and then after all that happens, we have a, the regular meeting gets called immediately. We don't have a wait or anything like that. We ask people to stay, and the regular meeting people can have more comments if they had any more comments on the board, uh, and then we take our vote. Um, and we, we put into practice um, several years ago um, where you know, it had been where we started there, and we always voted the same way, and we now randomize it. We might go in the same order, but you don't know who's going to start, because the person who sat where uh, uh, Council President Redinger always voted first, and with these controversial ones, they're always on the hot seat, oh, yes or no. And so we, what we do is we randomize it, so people, uh, you're never going to um, vote. Um, you don't know who's going to be voting first in the appeal, other than the chair has always votes last, because that's the Robert's rules, and that's what we follow with the chair go, uh, going last. If we, uh, 
if we recommend it to council, which happens, I would say, 90% of the time, 85 to 90% of the time, we do recommend variances um, to go to council, and they are approved by council. It's not that we recommend it and council rejects them. Um, we then advise them that they can go to council meetings, which are the week and the day after, um, for that hearing or the council voting on it, telling them again that it's not a hearing on their variance, uh, but it is a vote, they could know. Otherwise, they call the building department and they find out, yes, you got your variance, go do your project. If they don't do their project within six months, uh, pursuant to our uh, code, uh, then it lapses. So if they don't put that fence up in six months, they're gonna come back to us. I don't think anybody's not done their project within six months um, time. So that is the, that's kind of the whole process. Again, it's been few and far between, but obviously if we say no, uh, or if council says no, we recommend the council says no, uh, there's certainly a, a homeowner um, can sue the city, which they're allowed to do. And you know, it happens, right, Mr. Matty? It happens. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it, I don't think it happens a, a lot. Mr. Matty can talk to that, um, but it can happen. Uh, and certainly some pe people come to threaten the city, to threaten us if we don't do, give them what they want. But, you know, we just have to vote our conscience because we are representing the five of us citizens and along with the two elected officials, the people of Brexville to keep our code, our uh, zoning and building code, um, at least as consistent as we can. Okay. Thank you. Does anybody have any questions or comments either for Mr. Rose or from in your reading of this section of the charter that um, you wanna have addressed? Uh, can you give us a definition of hardship? Again, the, it's in our code, but generally a hardship is gonna be something out of your doing. So for instance, somebody says, oh, I bought my house and it's too small. I just want a big house, so I'm gonna push it all the way to the envelope. That's not gonna, that's gonna, that could be a hardship. There can be um, a practical difficulty can also fit. So in other words, it's just gonna cost a, a too much. It's gonna be just not um, economically feasible to do what you need to do. Um, but it, it, it's, it literally is gonna be based on the um, circumstances, what I like to say is property is unique, which is why we can't say everyone has to follow the same rules. Because not everybody has the same property. You have different terrain, you have, um, uh, this happens often. We changed the code. So they bought the house, now they want to make an addition, but the code changed. So the code got changed under it. So their whole house is out of code, you know? So they have to come to us with a variance. But the variance, generally like speaking, is they want to add a porch on the back of their house and it doesn't fit the front setback because they changed the setback and this happens on Highland and some of our other streets. So that's, that's a hardship. It would be, they didn't do that. The code changed out from under them. Um, and we often then, we'll listen to that. We'll listen to neighbors and the neighbors might say that's not enough because it's gonna change the character. You know, I mentioned before about having people on the board with aesthetics, we have engineers aesthetics, because it matters you know, if somebody's gonna do something with the variance, that's really gonna make this house not fit with the neighborhood. They're gonna be bigger or sticking out farther, they're gonna change the setbacks. You know, and we take all that into consideration um, when, we, when we do that. Now, I I've noticed that, that um, frequently applicants will claim that the fact that their neighbors don't have sidewalks is their hardship. That, I mean, the, those, that is a common variance, which is, very common. There are no sidewalks. I know sidewalks are a thing. 
Um, and we have routinely granted that variance conditioned on if and when the city determines that sidewalks must be installed at their the homeowner at their cost have to install sidewalks. It's, it's, you know, it's the sidewalk that doesn't go anywhere, um, um, which is consistently that's how we've addressed that because and I know some of them are uh, Snowville and some other places, um, Fitzwater, which may not even be able to have sidewalks. Um, well, we, there's, there's a lot of roads out there. Most of the collector and arterial streets do not have sidewalks. Right. Um, so how did the building code specifically says that sidewalks should be installed with new construction? It doesn't. It says that sidewalks are to be installed. That's why they have to come and ask for a variance. Correct. And their hardship okay. is no one else has a sidewalk. That's right. the hardship they present. But again, how is that the applicant's hardship? I'm not sure I understand your question. Okay, the variance says that the problem, the hardship has to be within the neighbor's property. I mean, within the applicant's property. I'm listening. Okay, so if my neighbor, if I'm the applicant, my neighbor doesn't have a sidewalk, that's not my hardship. Well, I think the hardship is that it wasn't applied, the neighbor was not compelled to put their sidewalk in as well. That was by somebody else. That was whatever, either by us or because that's just the way it was. There were, were no sidewalks. You know, sometimes there were no sidewalks because it becomes a development. There might have been like one house, farmhouse, on a street, and then it gets sold. And we know that off of Dewey, there's that's going on uh, to deal with that issue. And uh, it comes now. I would say I can't remember. A sidewalk variance when we ask people in the audience if they want to oppose it or have any reason for it that anybody has ever showed up and said no we think you should make them put in a sidewalk we'd be curious to hear that you know because I think that'd be fine then all the neighbors can put in a sidewalk if they want to but that's generally been the view is that um, that part of the code has not been applied to anyone else on that street and it's a hardship to make me make me um, put in a sidewalk when no one else is putting in a sidewalk. Then is there a particular reason why the code has not been changed? Uh, you'd have to have to talk to the council to deal with that. We, we have, um, I'm trying to think, there's been rare occurrences where we've asked council to revisit. Um, I think the last time we did was um, shed sizes because the, zone, the variance before the code was very small sheds and we were getting a ton of you know, they really aren't functional sheds in this day and age. So we asked Consul to visit that. I think that's the case, I remember. Um, but no, we've never, we've never asked Consul to do that, um, that issue, because uh, obviously when the uh, plans for a development go through, you know, they, they're, they aren't putting in sidewalks. Some of them are, have sidewalks. I think the, the new one off of uh, Dewey I think they have sidewalks around, though. I forget what that development is called. And I think that's the plan. Uh, anybody from Planning Commission could probably say that. That when these developments do come in, if it's, you know, it fits the development, there'll be sidewalks to deal with that. Um, some of these other places are more difficult. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, Fitzwater or someone Highland uh, that people will ask for none. But that's generally been the rule. No one else has been. Um, made to bear that expense. So that's the view that has been taken for many years by the board, conditioned on the fact that 
um, if the city decided or the building department decided or anybody decided that uh, they have to put them in, they have to put them in. Not at the city's cost, but at their, at their cost. Yep. Those are good questions. And that, you know, that is a, um, especially down over there um, off of Snowville, that is a, that's an issue, I know. Because um, we've, well, we haven't had anybody come at council meetings, at zoning meetings to talk about that, but I certainly have heard that issue. Dewey and, and some of those other um, streets. Well, I was just looking at Dewey in particular because, for example, uh, within last year, there was three variances granted to the first three houses on Dewey. So you have uh, one got the variance because there wasn't sidewalks on Dewey, and then two more got the yeah. because there wasn't sidewalks on Dewey. Well, one of the reasons there wasn't aren't sidewalks is because um, these variances continue to be granted. Um, that's, a, that's a fair point on, on Dewey, and I don't know the well, exact a, circumstance. A fair point elsewhere. For example, where I live, I have uh, two houses within 600 feet of me that were granted variances. Do you have a sidewalk? No, I don't have a sidewalk. And they don't have sidewalks either? No, because every, again, everybody gets granted right. a variance. Which is, like I said, that is how we've done it uh, for years. I don't remember if it was the corner. Mm -hmm that got the first one in Dewey or who was up the street that, you know, asked not to have a sidewalk put in. I don't remember the details of it, you know. Um, that asked first. Right, the new one, I, I know that's the case. 35 years has only been one development that didn't have sidewalks and that's Correct. Yep. Uh, Dennis, I, just, I have more of a question regarding, um, and, and it's in the minutes from 2013 when I was uh, on council, it's in 2003, it's in 1993, um, and I'm just going to speak, this is me personally, um, and also as a former council person, um, the the BZA how it's um, set up has always kind of stuck out to me as being an, an outlier for how our other boards and commissions are, and I may be the the lone wolf saying this, but I I just want to put it out there. So all the other boards and commissions, they're recommending bodies to city council, right? And as Mr. Rose said, when, when the BZA makes an approval or gives a recommendation for approval, it's not active. It has to go to council, and council then votes to approve their recommendation, correct? And once that happens, then that variance goes into effect. The issue that I've always had, and again, we've talked about consistency within the charter and how it works, is that when the BZA says no to a variance, you know, someone comes in, I want a six foot fence because I don't like my neighbor. No, okay, that, that's great. It, it, it probably would stand if it went to council. However, it never gets to council, okay? So the issue that I have theoretically and philosophically is that decisions where residents are affected yays or nays in particular, they have no other recourse. They can't come to council. They can't come to their elected body 
for final say. Okay, Planning Commission, Rec Commission, Telecommunicate, all of those bodies, whether they say yes or no on a recommendation, it, it still has to go through council. Okay, BZA is the only one, for whatever reason, I don't know why it was designed this way, and this is not to say that the practices always worked. I'm just talking structurally, it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, I believe that our elected body, whether it be the mayor, whether it be council, should always have the final say on any matter that is coming to the city to protect the city. Okay, that's not to say that we don't agree 100% with whatever the BZA would come up with, whether it was a recommendation for or against, but it, all of those should be reviewed by council. Not reheard, okay, not reheard, but whether it's either the BZA has full authority and we let unelected people make those final decisions, yes or no, then they, they have full authority or everything should come to council to your elected officials not not one only yeses but not noes that doesn't make any sense to me um and i i've sat on the bza it's it's the people are awesome this is not about decisions in the past it's not about the people it, it, it's just the structure does not make sense to me you can go through i would highly suggest you all read the minutes specifically the June 1st, 1993 minutes. Um, that pretty much lays it out as, as clear as could be. Um, I think in 2003, this issue went to the public, or maybe it was 93, I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, it did fail. In 2013, I brought it up. That commission didn't see, see it as an issue that needed to even be discussed. Um, I just think me, personally speaking, I think that it's not a good setup because your elected officials should be making the final call. If BZA says no to the six foot fence, then I believe the motion should come up to council where, we, where council is approving the no vote of the BZA. They should at least have the option to see all decisions that are made that impact a resident, not just the yeas, not, not just the yeses. Because as a resident, if, if I come in and the BZA says no to me, I have nowhere to go other than to send a piece of paper to Mr. Maddie's office saying I'm suing the city. Now our ordinance is on, on the table of being struck down as being you know, against the law or unconstitutional, whatever it may be. In addition, you know, to the legal uh, expenses that could potentially happen. I don't know if that has ever happened, maybe once or twice, but it's the point that it's just not, to me, it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't flow with the rest of our boards and commissions where council is reviewing all of their, their issues. Um, I don't know. I'm sure, Dennis, you guys have talked about yeah, this in the past, and obviously you've served for a long time. Yeah, served with, and again, this has nothing. This is not a personal thing. You know that. I but know. it just structurally doesn't jive with how I think this should be set up. And I, I, I just think, you know, in the past it's been, well, that'll be too much work for council, or that'll turn into a second hearing in council. That's not 
how I would envision something like this. I think, again, all votes of the BZA should be forwarded to be approved by council or affirmed by council, whether they're negative votes or positive votes. That, that's just how, how I see that playing out. Um, as a resident, I get denied. I can't come to my elected officials that they can't even discuss this or come up with any potential solution. And, and I say, well, I got struck down by unelected members of the community. That doesn't make any sense to me. So again, that's what I will put out there, um, Dennis. I don't know if you have you know thoughts on, I do. on that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this has been an issue. Yeah. That's been discussed. You yep. know, in, in the past, <laughs> and I think you're right. The people of Brexville had a chance to vote, and they didn't. And I think in 2013, a study, a study was done, of other communities, and we were right. And I think there were some that they went. The nose went up, and some that the nose didn't go up. I, I, I sort of challenge. I think planning does a lot to people in Brexville that never gets to, you know, up to city council because they say no, redo your plan, do this, do this. It doesn't even get brought to council. There are decisions that are made about we want you to make the sign be this size and this color, and they may not like it, but they negotiate and before yeah. it actually gets the council. So I think think decisions. But are the opportunity made. is there. It is the the charter is set up for those to come to council, yays or nays. In, in there, it, it is. I mean, that's it is set up that way. Whereas, whereas BZA doesn't have. Not if that there's at not all. a vote, though. What's that? Not if there's not a vote by planning. They're just. Yeah, but on, but the but also but the appellants though they can go to the electorate directly as an initiative petition or whatever the the terminology is right. they can if planning commission says no to them they can still put their plan on the on the ballot to be voted on whereas you know a BZA there's there's no there's no way obviously of putting it on a ballot but there's also no way of them making an appeal to their elected officials to reconsider to whatever the case may be other than sue the city and then you know council sitting there going well you know we could have negotiated this out or figured out a way but hey our hands were tied sorry i guess we got to go through the legal process i'm not done so, but i think yeah, it was, it was mansfield had a question i thought i had asked last last meeting though of the planning commission if it's a no it's a no and it doesn't go to council how it how are you saying that that's different than this no, that comes. That'll come up to council. That's not they, what was said when I asked it, and it's in the minutes too. Like, Jill, no. Jill, that matter comes to council from planning commission, but other than normally, if it's approved, it only needs four votes of planning commission or of council. Okay. If it's disapproved by planning commission, when it goes to council, which it does under the charter, it needs five votes to okay. change the vote of planning yeah. commission. So okay. it's a super majority vote that's needed to change that planning commission decision. I, I would only like to tell the commission that um, I lived that experience in a community where the BZA had the authority to make the decision, much like our BZA had the decision for a no vote. And two of the council members in that community thought it best to change the charter to give council the final say the next five years were a disaster. <laughs> Every BZA no turned from a, what I will say, qualified board, a board that knew what they were doing, to a political climate 
that knew nothing about the history of how that board had processed that particular issue. And it was disaster after disaster of items coming to council and being politically handled. You need to take a look at the code in 1197.10 and 1197.11. 1197.10 deals with Eric's question on hardship. You will see there's an A through H of standards that need to be, factors that need to be met to prove a hardship. To Greg's point, if that goes to council, you can't just review. You have to give a brand new hearing to that applicant, a brand new due process um, presentation, and you have to go through, actually, it's round two of what BZA just did for round one. If you take a look at 1197.11, if you're dealing with items like setbacks, side yards, rear yards, front yards, size of lot, height, that's a little less of a standard and it's called practical difficulties. The owner has a practical, practical difficulty in building what they want to build because perhaps they don't have enough land or perhaps they can't put their home where it should because of the topography and so they need a variance based on what's called area variances. And you'll see in our code there's another A through I that has to be met for that to apply. If you say no to an applicant and council is going to hear that, that council had better be pretty qualified to hear what the BZA has heard because it's not just a review. Even with our planning commission reviews to council, if an applicant requests, they've got to hear the matter. They can't just say yay or nay if somebody's objecting. And we've had those kind of objections, very few, thankfully, because planning commission does do a great job. But you have to be careful if you're going to give council a review of that no. You, you, you really do have to be careful because you're creating a little different situation than we've ever had here. And the beauty of our BZA is we do have qualified people. They do know how to give people due process and they've faced these issues before. So they have a history in their decisions. That takes a while for a council to develop. It's your call what to do, either way is proper but that does put an extra burden on council. I have seen it to be such a burden that council has to have special meetings just to have those kind of hearings. Because you can't have that kind of a hearing in a regular council meeting. You don't have enough time. You don't have a, a, enough, um, how shall I say, effort in you after you're dealing with a regular council meeting to give one side who wants something and you're gonna hear from all the other whether it's neighbors or other dissenters, you have to give them their side at that second hearing. So it's really a second bite at the apple for whoever's told no. So that's up to you. Going to court doesn't mean that it can't be settled because it can be settled by the council and the administration if they think it should be settled in court through a court settlement. But 
whether you want it heard here for a second time or heard downtown in a court setting, that's what you're looking at. But there's a lot of work in that no vote to have it reheard. Can I continue? Yeah, go ahead, Dan. One is you're not going to avoid litigation. Like I said, there are very few no votes. It isn't like we're just being arbitrary or capricious with it. And in fact, the probably the bulk of them would be the exact same decision that I believe that no uh, consul would would make in that. And I, I said before, it's a quasi adjudicative. You know, we, we are taking evidence. You know for you know they're putting on their case so to speak for for people so that is the the time for them to do that and i think the this is function not to say it's not broke so don't fix it um but that is true and the political point isn't is an issue because there's nothing you know they can't politically influence the five citizen members on this because we don't really care you know okay you're not going to give to my campaign next time or you're not going to vote for me you know that's already happened so i don't really need to have that um um be the uh, the case so we don't have any political influence uh against us and it can it, it can it probably would happen on the nose but i can say it's not really a there's a zillion no's or they were getting sued on no's because this board is very careful of what they do and uh, careful about precedent and are attempting to solve problems. And I'll, I'll close with Mr. Maddy saying mediating. Sometimes even if there is a no, uh, through the, you know, the great work of the mayor and the building department, the neighbors and the applicant sometimes work out the issues to be able to have some other solution so they're not dealing with that, um, that issue if it's a no. And sometimes it's just has to be a no. Somebody wants to park their, you know, tractor trailer that they drive in their front yard. You can't do that in, in Brexville. And if we say no to that and they go to a city council, city council is going to say no too, you know. So I think it does work. I think making an advisory board, I agree with Mr. Maddie. I don't know how you don't hear evidence as opposed to this reading our minutes, how council would do that, and you'd be hearing it all, all over again. Well, again, it, it gets to my my underlying point though is that then make that board i don't understand then why anything has to go to council why anything has to go to council why do the approvals have to go to council if you're the judicial board put it in effect and make all you guys elected yeah, officials I, I, or something i, I don't know i'm just trying to wrap my, i still can't i've never understood it when i've been on council and and since it just it just doesn't it just doesn't structurally this again it has nothing to do with what's actually happened or the process it's just structurally i firmly believe that if one thing is going to go to council then all should go to council or none of it goes to council there's a fundamental difference when we say no it means you have to comply with the zoning or building code like everyone else does no question but if we say yes we're getting an exception and that's why i think it's wise that the elected the people the the elected officials are saying yes you don't have to comply with this uh, as opposed to us who are not elected to deal with it because then there is one you'll hear it and there are times when we have been we've recommended it and consul has said no it's rare but it has happened uh, where consul has said no 
and why it happened, who knows. But it is, is rare. So I think that is the difference, is you're asking um, somebody not to comply with the law of Brexville, the code of Brexville, uh, building code or the zoning code. And all we're saying by saying no is no, you have to comply um, with it, as opposed to we're not going to say people you can't. And I think it makes sense that the people who are elected should, should give away uh, or at least uh, allow for the variance from our building and zoning. I, I interrupted Mr. Berlin, and I apologize. No, no, I think it, this, this is a good discussion, right? Because I'm sitting here going, oh, this is such a great idea. Oh, maybe it's not. So, uh, yeah, no, I, no I, I, it's a good discussion point. My question is, is let's say I make an appeal to the BZA and it's no, right? What are my options to come back to say, you know, I really want this six-foot fence. I'm going to make some... Uh, You'd have to come up... There'd have to be a change in your, fact, change. In uh, your fact pattern. That's a, that's a good point because we, we have had, um, if it's an amendment, um, we've had amendments to zoning for a class of one. It used to be our um, putting air conditioners in the side yard instead of the back that was a change you know and we always said you got to screen it in some manner so it's not going to be neighbors aren't looking at it you know and we put the conditioner allowed to do that or sometimes they want to do something and we'll invite them to table it and try to work with the building department to change their plan a little bit you know and we, we, we notice it so that does happen you know and some uh, appellants see where where the wind's blowing, you know, and they'll try to find a way to get it. And some are just unreasonable. They're asking for unreasonable things, you know. And you have a neighbor who's very um, adamant about uh, opposing it, and not because there's animosity, because it really doesn't make any sense what they're trying to do next to them. Um, and again, if you look at the stats, and I'm sure we can, um, if you'd like, I can ask uh, Gina to send our, like, last several years because we put a report out every year of how many variants we had, how many we said yes, no's, and what Consul did with them. And you'll see it's a very, very small amount of no's. And Consul has, um, with rare exception, has uh, accepted our recommendation. Yeah, that's correct. Yep, no question. But Gina can send that if anybody wants uh, that or could send it to you, Greg. You know how to get it from Gina with yeah. our reports. Dave, I have a question. So. How does so? It, I've never heard your the um, the reasoning that that you gave was not brought up in thirteen, and it's never brought up in the ninety three or two thousand three minutes as being you know there's got to be a, a second hearing. So, explain to me then again, um, just in theory, uh, if a if a BZA says no, that that's their recommendation is no, you can't have a six foot fence, and let's just say that we had it where all yeses and all noes have to go and council, you know, gives their stamp of approval on whatever that decision of the BZA was. So when a, a yes vote comes up, we don't have to have a hearing. Is that correct? No, you should. If it's, if the applicant requests it, if the applicant requests a hearing, you have to have a hearing. So if, the, wait, because no. Because if you, if you, if you deny an applicant. No, no, I'm saying on a yes vote. So BZA says yes. Right. That uh, motion comes up, council gives, or the council rep to the BZA gives their motion to pass that recommendation. Correct. There's no hearing that's held. Yeah, there, if the applicant at that stage who, or a resident requests a hearing, a hearing has to be held for due process. Okay. We haven't had that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I've never, yeah. We haven't had that occur since I've been here, yeah. except for once where the applicant did come and make a presentation to council. But it was a planning commission matter. It wasn't a BZA matter. 
but if you don't give an applicant a right of a presentation to the body that's going to be making the decision, whether it be the BCA or the Planning Commission, and then counsel, and that's appealed down the court, everybody's wasting their time because that court's going to refer it back to that particular body and say, hear it before it comes to me. You can't just have a review when you have property rights at issue, whether it be Planning Commission or BZA. And that's whether it's a, a, a yes from BZA or, in theory, it would be a, as well as a no if that was coming yes, to come. Yes, and it, it this doesn't matter if it's a yes from Planning Commission or a no, because somebody, even if it's a yes for Planning Commission, somebody may be objecting to that, that somebody may be what's called an aggrieved party. Could be a neighbor, could be a resident in the area, could be somebody affected by that particular plan that's being allowed. So you have to be careful when you're dealing with property rights. Now the one thing that, that uh, Mr. Rowe said, if you think about this, council makes the laws. So if somebody is turned down on a BZA issue, BZA is enforcing the laws that council has on the books. And what it's saying is that that particular applicant hadn't met its burden, whether it be a hardship burden, which is the most difficult to meet, or this practical difficulty um, test that I've explained to you that's in the code, which is a lesser burden. So those situations actually vary from what council's code is. So in theory, that matter, if you're going to have a council review, should go to council because they've already set the rules for that situation not to happen. And this BZA has said, for whatever reason, whatever evidence has been presented to them, that we think our rules shouldn't apply to this particular property. And then that gives council a right to say, well, here are our rules, and do we think that we should agree with BZA's analysis that we should vary from our own rules? whereas a no is enforcing their rules which are already in place. I mean, that, that, that's basically what you're saying, Dennis, exactly. in, that, in that concept. That makes a lot of sense. Whether your planning commission or your BZA are recommending boards or final approval boards, yeah, that's, that's within your purview to say which is better. You know, should they both be the same? Can they be different? But understand that if you say they should be the same, that's going to be a little bit more of a burden on council. And now you've got what I will call the political body making the final decision in all your property situations. You know, that's for you and for council to decide because council can make these same decisions by putting that kind of issue on the ballot if they wish. I just think. In my experience in dealing with the judges downtown, they look first and foremost to a planning commission or a BZA. They themselves are politically elected individuals and they know that a council is a politically ex elected body. And when you, get into this, when you get into these cases, believe it or not, sometimes it can be inches that neighbors are arguing over. And I've had judges look to me as a law director and say, 
what in the world is in the water in that community that these people are arguing over inches? And I just have to tell them, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you, but that's how vehement some of these situations get. So the better technical analysis you have on a case that I have to represent the city on, the better it is for my department. It's just that simple. And Planning Commission has some experts, and our BZA does a marvelous job. And whether it's this BZA or people who are coming up, they, they are what I would call, and it's, it's, it's no slant against council, but they deal with these issues all the time. Council doesn't. Council deals with a myriad of issues, and sometimes they get into a property case. Our boards are there at the ground level. And they do do it differently, as, as Mr. Rose said. He will notice an issue coming, and that board will try not to steer, but to softly advise an applicant. You know, you may want to think this point. You may want to rethink that point so that when it comes to a final vote, it's positioned such that it's agreeable to the, to the board and the applicant, which prevents the dispute from ever occurring. Once you get entrenched with a no vote and then you come to council, I, I can't remember, maybe there was one time in 12 years that the council didn't go with the administrative body, whether it be planning commission or BZA. I can't remember another time because they have faith in the boards that deal with this all the time. So if you change that, that's fine. but. It's going to put a little more of a burden on council, and it's a little more of a burden that they've seen because we've only really had one case that's gone to court that actually had more than just a review by council. It had a presentation to council a second time, and they stuck with the, the, um, the planning commission. Case went to court. We were successful in court, but it was like a preview of what could happen more often if more issues come to them. So quick question, regarding planning, so all recommendations come from planning, not just positives or negatives, like what happens if there, if planning, is there anything that planning would recommend a no for, like, hey, we don't want to change? Well, planning commission sometimes, um, Michael, sometimes planning commission turns down a project, and if they turn down the project and that applicant desires, they can appeal it to council, and that has happened, where a plan was turned down by, uh, by Planning Commission, they tried very hard to resolve it. If my memory is correct, it's, it was either nine or 11 times it was on their agenda. Trying to work with the applicant did not work out, went to council, council stuck behind Planning Commission for what I'll call its technical analysis. It went to court and we were successful in court. So what we're saying, and just to, just to make sure I understand it correctly, is that um, a no from planning can come up to council, but a no from BZA cannot come up Correct. to council as it's written. So Under the current code. So per Greg's discussion, if we wanted to change something, you could also look at changing planning so that it was consistent with BZA. Um, because I did like what you guys said about enforcing the laws that council's already put in place, mm -hmm. right? And, and Dennis, I think you did a good job, and David as well, of you know stating that is hey we're just saying we're not going to make an exception to the rules that are already in place um but 
since this is an exception, we, we want you to vote on it just so you're aware of it. And, and I thought that both of those were very helpful, you know, because as I looked, I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with Greg is, oh, there's a little inconsistency. But now that I looked at it that way, it, it helped me put my arms around it. And planning is different because people go to front of planning many, 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 many times. And planning is making, make, do a tweak. They're making a decision. Make this tweak and we'll come back again. Make this tweak. The engineer, none of those are going to console. You know, that's a decision's being made, you know change the height of this or, or change the facade, whatever. Um, and I think our planning commission does an excellent job. And those are decisions, interim decisions. We don't have that. They don't come to us many, many times. You know, it comes to us of a, pretty much of this is what they want and are they going to get it? Or, um, or should they get a variance from the application of our, uh, of our code? Do you know if in 2003, when this was brought up for the change in the charter, if it failed, overwhelmingly failed, if it was close? Does anybody know? I was trying to look yeah. through the packet, but... We have it in there somewhere. We have it in here. I was just curious how the vote went in 2003 when this was up. I will find that for okay. you. Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll get Something that. Something later. Yeah. Just... I mean, there was actually an active campaign against it from... Okay the former chairperson of the BZA um, kind of led that and his uh, letter is also in the the minutes from I think the 2003 maybe yeah 2003 is in there Chairman, it's on the summary sheet. is it on the summary sheet mayor okay thank you so yeah you can get into and that. I do remember a pretty fulsome discuss discussion in 13 I wasn't I was on the board of zoning in 03, but I wasn't chair in 03, but I was chair in 13, and I remember it was a fairly fulsome discussion as well in those minutes. Yeah. Again, I can only, I, now I can sleep better at night knowing that I, I stated my, uh, my personal <laughs> gripe. And I, I just wanted to get it off and, and throw it out there, because again, it, it's just very different than all the other ones, as you, can, as you can see. And it's been talked about many times, and you know, for various reasons, uh, good or bad, it you know it either didn't make it to the ballot or it did and it failed and and that's fine. But I just wanted to bring it to our attention. Um, if anybody feels as adamant about it about then as I do, then you know we'll we can certainly discuss further down the line. But I, I did want to bring that up and and uh, Mr. Rose obviously gives you know good good information as did Mr. Maddie. Um, um, again, it's just on my point. It's just more of a philosophical thing as opposed to perhaps you know the functioning and how it actually happens. I just I'm a firm believer that our council should be making all final decisions, and if BZA wants to make you know if they want to be a whether they call it a quasi judicial or a judicial board, then they should have all full you know full steam ahead whatever they say goes and it's automatic and put it in place and don't even bother counsel with it um otherwise they're not a judicial or a quasi-judicial body they're a recommend recommending body to counsel they their decisions cannot be put into effect it's not what B, it's not really what bza wants it's what the people of brexford wanted and that's what bza wanted no i understand and greg but, you're saying like hey if they say it's good to go, then it's good. Don't to ask go. me to vote on it because pretty much it's good to go. Yeah, if that, if that's if we're not again, if you're not going to rehear the whole case and find I would out oppose all the details, that. right? Yeah, if if council's not going to vote on all of it, don't then don't don't vote on any of it. That I, I, that's just my right dilemma. So hey, and it's always been that. I know you are, <laughs> but no, that again, that, that that's all I wanted to throw out there and. 
um, you know, have you at least think about it, read about it. Again, the minutes from the previous uh, discussions and the previous charter reviews, they go into pretty deep detail, both for and against and explaining in detail, um, you know, various things that both Mr. Maddie and Mr. Rose talked about tonight. Um, um, and, and so again, just review those. And if it's something that, you know, anybody wants to revisit in, you know, our future meetings, you know, we certainly can. Um, but, you know, obviously I just wanted to kind of touch base on that one. And, and that was one of the reasons why we wanted Mr. Rose to come tonight since he couldn't make the last meeting. I did think it was important to, you know, to, to have, to have that discussion and to make sure that everybody was aware of how that is set up differently um, and, and to get his input and, and whatnot and the board's input on, on Can that. Can I make so, one final comment? Yes, absolutely. I, I think planning and, and zoning, planning as much as zoning, those are the, probably the most, two most important commissions. No question. Protecting the city. You know, I'd like to say they protect the city from developers. You can have some communities that developers have run, run amok, you know. And this city is a wonderful place. You look at our, where neighborhoods are and how our city looks. I think part of that is planning, you know. You can just look at the bank that's sitting at 82, you know. And I'm sure they didn't want to make it look the way it looks, you know, to make it kind of fit with that. And that was all planning that did that. And zoning, because we had to do variances. And they're important bodies that you're dealing with it to keep the city um, the way it is, to keep it the city that we all love. Um, and so um, it is important that you look at both of those and look how it's been functioning and how it will function. Yep. And again, I appreciate uh, you hearing me and I appreciate you serving on this um, very important board. Thank you very much, Dennis. I appreciate it. Mr. Matty? Uh, before Mr. Rose leaves, Stephanie, I I'd like to follow up on your alternate question. I I I'd like to give you a real life example of how uh, an alternate um, um, an insertion of alternates into the charter assists beyond the training that we've talked about at the last uh, session. I have a current example where there is a major dispute going on and one of the issues has gone to the BZA of that community. It's not a community, or it's not a BZA of seven like ours, it's a BZA of five. And this is a situation where it is up to this point in time unresolvable. When that BZA meeting was set, only four of five regular members were able to make that date. So if that community didn't have an alternate, only four rather than five members would have heard that. So with the insertion of an alternate, that applicant was assured that five members would vote on the matter and they would need three. So whether there was four there or five, they still needed three votes. So if we were short a board member, at that, at that matter, six attorneys showed up for the, for the parties, which is an expensive proposition by itself. <laughs> but if I only had four members, like Mr. Rose does, I would have had to tell the applicant, it's your choice to go forward, but if you wish a continuance, I would recommend to that board that they grant that 
because they are entitled to a full board. So there were five. The matter was heard. The matter wasn't finally decided because it was so contentious and took so long that the chairman said, we need a second hearing. All well and good, except for the second hearing, you have to make sure that you have the same four board members and that alternate show up for the second part of the hearing. You can't have that other regular board member come because he or she wouldn't have heard the first part. So it, there's, there's more layers to this when you think about it as far as what's needed to be done to give somebody due process so that a court doesn't say, well, wait a minute, how did you do this? You had four members here the first, and then you had some new member come in the second time because the alternate, where was the alternate that heard it the first time? So you have to think this, think this through, and that would be what's hap what would happen here. If, if, if Dennis's board had alternates and they heard a decision and they couldn't make a decision on that night because maybe they had given the applicants some things to think about and they didn't want to make a decision, you'd have to make sure that the same board was there at the second hearing. How often are two-part hearings heard? Oh, if somebody comes back a second time? Yes. Um, it is not... Concerned about the composition. It's not, in, it's not infrequent, that, especially come summertime, where we may only have five people. Uh, oftentimes people will. I feel sometimes like Monty Hall, I go, you can go with five or you can wait and see what happens next week you know and or next month and oftentimes people say i'll roll the dice you know because they I read the room incorrectly how often do you hear a whole hearing you realize nothing's going to happen this night and it's going to have part two never okay i mean usually if something can be changed that we don't have to re-notice it will happen it'll happen then you know i mean we don't go to midnight, but if we work till however long it takes us to get our work done. Just seeing if that concern of having these five people going to hear part two, if that's going to be a all the time. I think alternates is a good idea. Okay. I think okay. it would. I think it stops that we don't have people who are here. I, I, I hadn't thought of it, but I think it's a good idea. And then what about? Sorry, I'm go like monopolizing. Go, no, no, keep going, Stephanie. <laughs> One alternate or two alternates. So now that you're thinking of it, and it's now in your in your head, and if you go back to your um, your board, would you ask them if one or two? I don't know if having more people would be beneficial, because hearing from feedback from community, it feels like a lot of people want more chances to be involved. So putting two I alternates on different boards and commissions gives and more opportunity. I don't think. Obviously, two would take the situation where we only have five. We would always have seven. But I, I def, I'd have to look at Robert's rules and defer to Mr. Matty about if we have nine, the two alternates and all seven show up, um, can the alternates participate at all? Probably not. No. no. So they have to just sit. Yes. You know, now they could just leave, <laughs> yes. go get coffee or whatever, or they could sit there and learn. Um, or, the, or they wouldn't even have to show up, but if they were no. interested, they could sit and they would learn your procedures and learn your process without voting, without participating, just by observing, Dennis. Yeah. What we've learned here is I think this is the only commission that has an alternate, and it was changed in the last Charter review. And so there's really very rarely going to be a situation where our alternate participates because there's enough of us here. Mm -hmm. It might happen, but it might not. But it's another person that has another perspective that has another opportunity. Correct. So, sure. so real quick question just to tag along to this is, would an alternate be available in a conflict of interest? 
let's say that somebody had to abstain. I have a conflict of interest. Let's say I'm an HOA president, and they're talking about somebody in my neighborhood. I can't really vote. I shouldn't probably vote. Would we use an alternate at that point? Conflict of interest can be identified in advance. Uh, under President Redinger, we've all already asked council a number of times that if they are aware of a conflict of interest to let us know before the meeting. So in that case, Michael, if that conflict of interest is known ahead of time by the um, uh, chair, Mr. Rose, or the secretary for the board, the chair can authorize the secretary, based on that conflict, call alternate A and tell alternate A he or she needs to, if they wish to come to the meeting, they're going to participate because we have a conflict of a member. So if we didn't have that uh, alternate and that ability to rectify the conflict situation, then it, you would have six people voting in the BZA versus seven. It happened yeah. three, it was three, Thank you. three months ago. Because I'm on my HOA board and I, it was in my community. So I, there you go. I did not participate and our vice chair ran the meeting. And hearing how Mr. Rose operates the BZA, and he certainly is astute to know if there's a dispute coming down the road, I would advise him if asked, even if he had six and he thought he's going to have a dispute coming, I would automatically get that alternate there to be seven. You always want a full board to hear a property owner's rights as part of due process. I have a quick, quick, quick question. <clears throat> We've discussed what happens if somebody gets a no from the BZA, whether or not they should be able to come in front of council. Um, what about if BZA says yes and the neighbors are unhappy with it? Um, do they have an opportunity to be heard before council? Yes. 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 Okay, do they have to request a hearing or do they just show up? Well, they have to show up, and if they show up and request to be heard, they should be heard. Okay. I don't think I've seen a denial of anybody to be heard under Council President Rediger or former Council President uh, Harwood. Okay, thank you. I think that they start politicking is what happens, because I know very rare, I think once or twice, I got a call from a council member who's on there who wanted to talk to somebody who was getting lobbied, you know, why is there a no and what's going on? And um, so they, their first line is probably to try to lobby and call council people. But yeah, they'd have that right. I appreciate it. I guess I have one last request that if you would triple our pay, that would be. <laughs> we could It'll still that. be nothing, zero. Nothing. <laughs> okay, make it 10 times. Yep, exactly. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Dennis. Yep. Appreciate it. And again, it. if good, you have any follow-up questions, let me know. Great. Thank you all for, for serving. Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you again for all the, the conversation on that and uh, humoring me on my uh, missive there, so thank you. Um, I've only been waiting 10 years for that, Dave. Sorry. So, Sorry I, I didn't know the history there, yeah, Chairman. But Burst my bubble a little uh, bit there. That's okay. But, I just hope you can sleep tonight. Uh, I don't know. I'll sleep better, that's for sure. It's off my chest. Okay, um, next on our agenda, Article 6, uh, which is a new article, which is our finances article. And um, presenting this evening is our purchasing director. And Ms. Becky Reiser will take it from here. Um, she's got a, um, I know she has a pamphlet or some paper that uh, she's put together for us. And um, thank you, Mr. Chairperson. 
And thank you all for allowing me to come before you this evening. Uh, I am Becky Reiser. I'm the Director of Purchasing, and I'm in my 15th year at the city, my 14th year as the Director of Purchasing. Um, as Mr. Scaljack mentioned, I did provide a few <coughs> documents to you last week, some additional documents that just reference um, a good uh, overview of all the roles and responsibilities of the Purchasing Department. I provided you our policies and procedures um, a copy of our 2021 annual report, uh, the job descriptions for our staff, and what I've just passed around to you is an updated version of that uh, summary of the cities surrounding us, their approval limits on purchases. A few cities did come in after I had sent the original document, so I just wanted you to have an updated copy for our discussion tonight. So the position of Director of Purchasing, as you are aware, is addressed in the City Charter under Article 6, Section 8. Ordinance 3328 was passed in January 1994 on the recommendation of the 1993 Charter Review Commission uh, to establish my position of Director of Purchasing. Um, that was 30 years ago. And I always like to share that my little small world side note is that my late father, Frank Burlingham, was a member of that 1993 Charter Review Commission that created this position that 15 years later, hmm. uh, little would I know that I would find myself in. Um, he was a great man, great uh, man. Thank you, Greg, thank you. Um, my primary role as Director of Purchasing is to manage the processes for procuring the best value in goods and services necessary to the performance of all operations for our city departments. And this includes the management of all of the requisition and purchase order processes where we ensure encumbrances are entered against proper expenditure accounts. And year to date in 2022, our department has processed 1,433 purchase orders, totaling just under 12 million in encumbrances. Hard copies of purchase orders are generated daily and reviewed and signed off on by the Director of Finance and the Director of Purchasing. And then those are forwarded to the vendors as requested by the originating departments. Purchasing department also manages and processes a majority of the city's accounts payable. Year-to-date accounts payable for the city has totaled over 3.4 million. I also administer all competitive bidding processes as required by the city charter. From preparing the bid specifications to preparing the city council recommendation for contract award and execution through the contract administration process for a project. And I also serve as the city's prevailing wage coordinator when it applies on certain projects. So with all of those processes, we're interacting with all city departments on a regular basis. And other functions are for our department where we are interacting with our fellow departments include the administration of request for quote RFQ and request for proposal RFP processes for products and services that are under the public bid threshold. Uh, we 
are responsible for grant development and administration, which now we share some of those duties with our new planning, community planning and coordinator for uh, Monica Barkowitz, who is taking on quite a bit of the grant development and administration now for the city. Um, I am the administrator for three <coughs> municipal purchasing consortiums. Uh, that is for the supplying of road salt. We have 12 member cities in that consortium. The supply of gasoline and diesel fuel, five member cities for that consortium. And supplying asphalt materials, also five city members. Um, for those uh, consortium groups, I prepare the bid specifications, facilitate discussion and approval processes for the members, I administer the bid process, communicate results and next steps, and in general act as a liaison for the management of the resulting contract. Uh, the most active consortium, as you might guess, is our supply of road salt. Uh, that group of 12 service directors in the area in Cuyahoga County meet annually in the preparation of a either renewal of a current contract or preparing for a new public bid. We manage all the registrations for the city's vehicle and equipment fleet and the property and liability insurance policies for the city are maintained and renewed out of the purchasing director's office. We currently operate the purchasing department with a staff of two. Uh, Jessica Still is the city's purchasing clerk, and she's very, my very strong right hand. Uh, before becoming a full-time employee with the city, Jessie was an intern in purchasing for five years. Her primary focus is on the administrative and support functions for the processing and managing of the encumbrances and the accounts payable, as well as daily order placements for all city departments. When schedules permit, she's assisting and shadowing me on various projects for ongoing cross-training. The primary items that are prepared by the purchasing department and brought before city council for consideration and approval at their bi-monthly meetings include all purchasing-related requests on behalf of all the city departments. And here are a few examples of those. Requests for approval on purchase requisitions that are over the current council approval purchase limit of $3,000. Authorization to advertise for public bids, which is done out of the purchasing office. Accepting lowest and best bids obtained through a public bid process. Authorization to purchase on a state contract or a government purchasing cooperative contract. Authorization to accept a proposal for professional services like engineering or professional design. Authorization to apply for grant funding. And I present reports to council regarding negotiated agreements for contract renewals uh, like our property and liability insurance policies. Agreements for supply management for our natural gas and electricity accounts for the city and second and third year renewal on contracts such as rubbish disposal, recycle, and road salt. So in my October 7th letter to the commission, I presented five recommendations for your consideration. Two of those 
We're simply updating language to align with current day-to-day -day practices, and they pertain to first section six, sale of municipal property. This is now conducted via online auction and is managed and administered by both the director of purchasing and the service director. So that just needed further language clarification. Also section eight, purchasing, I specifically reference the line that states that the director of purchasing's responsibility for quote, any contract to which the municipality is a party, unquote. As noted in my recommendation, there just needed to be clarification due to the fact that there are several contracts and agreements that the director of finance reviews and administers. So the purchasing department is very conscious of its responsibility and accountability in the expenditure of public funds. Therefore, we do maintain a competitive public bidding process in accordance with state laws and regulations, as well as our city ordinances. I shared in my letter to the commission that regarding section five, advertisement for bids, where it states competitive bidding shall be had and carried on as required by the laws of the state of Ohio. My recommendation, my comment on that to you was that there should be no changes to the charter. And I clarified that current Ohio law states that public bidding is required for expenditures that exceed $50,000. In 2012, the threshold was increased in the Ohio revised code for municipalities from 25,000 to 50,000 for the public bid limit. However, at that time, city of Brecksville chose to remain at 25,000. So I have an update for you since my October letter. I had shared with you that we did intend to bring before council the request to increase this to the current state law of $50,000. We did in fact present that recommendation to city council at their November 15th meeting and they did unanimously vote to approve. This would be effective January 1, 2023. Again, since 2019, there have only been two public bids that have fallen in that range between $25,000 and $50,000. Over the past 10 years, that grand total is only 13 public bids that fell in that range. Also, a request for proposal would still be administered on those projects. And the time frame, the benefit of the time frame that would be so significantly reduced to start a project and not go through that six to eight public bid process time frame for several of the things that we take before council at this time would certainly enhance our productivity. And the re recommendation to award all of these contracts that I'm speaking of would still go before council for final approval. Now the two primary items of recommendation in my initial letter were regarding the procedural limits on purchasing approval and the creation of a position of director of human resources. So first, if I may, I'd like to address the approval limits. This is section four, correct? Correct. 
The last time that city council, or I'm, I'm sorry, the last time that the city council approval limit was changed was 20 years ago when the 2003 Charter Review Commission recommended an increase from $1,500 to $3,000. You saw in the summary of the current limits of other cities in Cuyahoga County that I compiled and shared with you that City of Brecksville does indeed have the lowest council approval limit. When reviewing other city charters, we are also the only one that states the council approval limit dollar figure in our charter. Rather, all of the charters I reviewed of these cities, they have a section that addresses the public bid threshold. And they reference in that section that expenditures under the bid threshold are approved in accordance with city ordinances, which is why my actual recommendation to Charter Review Commission on this topic is to simply remove Section 4, titled Limitation Upon Expenditures Without Prior Council Approval, and update Section 5, currently titled Advertisement for Bids. On the second page of this summary I provided you of the cities, I do provide some sample language for that revision for what would become a new section titled Public Bidding. Again, this would mean that changes to the procedural limits, such as the department head level, the mayor level, the council level, and then up to public bidding, would actually be approved by city council via ordinance and published in the city's purchasing policies. When I reached out to these other cities to collect this information, that's what they forwarded to me, their purchasing policy. That's where that information was located. And when I would also ask for their purchasing section in their charter, that's when I learned that they weren't calling out that council approval figure in their charter. They were referencing that the city's approved ordinances underneath that public bid threshold would govern the purchasing limits. Handling it this way obviously gives us the ability to propose changes when it makes sense, not every 10 years. And uh, we have an example going on right now. We are in the process of configuring and preparing to implement in 2023 an entire new financial software system. Quite an undertaking for any of you who have gone through that in your businesses. And the timing is lining up wonderfully for Charter Review to be happening and us having these discussions about limits because we're going to need to configure any new changed approval limits into this software system. If this wouldn't be going on right now, it would create a little bit of a hardship as to wanting to address a situation that may not be able to hand, be handled right away. So in my opinion, there's two ways to approach this. The commission, one, if you would support this recommendation of removing the stated city council approval limit dollar figure from the charter 
if you would choose to go that way, I still think it's absolutely beneficial with this group assembled to discuss your opinions on what that limit should be and what the other approval limit should be. Because if it would then go to being approved by city council via ordinance, that would be information we would wanna share with them, with the public, and with all those interested in being part of that conversation. The other approach would be if you would choose to keep that dollar figure in the charter. I did confer with Law Director Maddie and he shared with me that there would be a way if that dollar figure is in there and council wanted to address changing it within that 10 year period that it could be done through amendment and we could have Law Director Maddie speak to that shortly if you would like. So one last comment I would like to make on this topic before opening it up to discussion. In speaking with the directors in these other cities to complete the information on those approval limits, um, the ones with the higher council approval limits of 15,000, 25,000, 50,000, they all made a similar comment that had to do with, well, we entrust our directors and department heads to manage their budgets accordingly. Additionally, please keep in mind that the director of finance and the director of purchasing review and sign off on every single purchase order. And it's certainly in our job descriptions to ensure that purchases are being made for proper public purpose. In other words, money is being spent for a purpose where the public good is being served. So I would love to open it up to discussion before moving on to my last recommendation that is non-purchasing related. Just for clarification, you're suggesting a $25,000 limit before it goes out to bid without council approval? No, the public bid limit has been approved already at 50,000. Okay, that's 50, okay. Correct, and that takes effect on January 1st. Okay. So after my research of gathering all this information from these cities, I had sent that revised suggestion out to the commission for consideration about raising the council approval level to $25,000 which would then adjust the department level and the mayoral level of approval. But, but please keep in mind that my, all, what I am truly asking of the commission is to consider removing that figure at all from the charter so that, it's, that those limit dollar figures are determined via ordinance by council. And that, and that process can be m much more involved than just a meeting and an ordinance getting passed. It could involve three readings. It could involve the finance committee holding a public meeting where if people can be involved in that discussion. Mr. Manny, would a ordinance such as that, could we single out an ordinance like that to require the vote of you know, six out of seven council members or? Well, I mean, I, I, I guess you could require anything you want in the charter, but 
there's only a few situations which require more than a majority of a vote of council. And you either got to have faith in your council or not. If they're making those kind of decisions by a majority in other areas, they should be able to make that kind of decision by a majority in the financial area. They certainly have the advice from the finance director and uh, from the purchasing director whenever they make these financial decisions. So I, I would not recommend any super majority of council to deal with that kind of issue. Um, uh, when when, when um, the purchasing director called me and she was considering certain numbers, I was the individual who said, you know, go out and canvas the communities. This will save some time because I was sure that you were going to ask me to do that um, and that that's been the process. But uh, Becky wanted to know that in advance. And her eyes were opened, as you can see. Um, some of these communities have not only faith in their councils, but they have faith in their directors that they're going to do what their job description and their jobs duties tell them to do. And this community definitely has that kind of directors in our, in, 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 we're blessed. And you're seeing it as they come before you. 2003 is a long way from 2022, especially with what now is happening in the purchasing area. And I do see council spending an awful lot of time on a $3,800 expense, a $4,200 expense, and it slows the purchasing director and her department down and it slows the administration down in getting something that's necessary accomplished. And that your language in your charter now, you'll see, you see when you look at section uh, five, doesn't have a number in it. it. It simply refers to state law. Well, at one time that was 15 in state law. At one time it was 25. For quite a few years, it's been 50. So that's been moving up without any, anybody really paying attention to it because our, our, her directive was lower than that. And when she went to council the other night, they put it back, they put it to 50 where the state law is. And that's simply because of the cost of things. And how many purchasing um, orders did you say? 1,400, 1,600 so far this mm -hmm. year? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's only 365 days in a year. So you can imagine what hits her desk on a daily basis, but there is a check. And that check is her signature and the finance director's signature. So you have two of your top directors keeping track of that. And it depends on what you all want to do, but that number can be anything that you select, or this system can be adjusted by council through ordinance. And council, I mean, we got two council members here. Council can adjust that during the 10-year period between these commissions by simply putting something on the ballot themselves, if necessary. So, I mean, that's, you know, the, the, the money amounts your call. But the purchasing director, I think, is asking for a little bit better of a process because it's really not needed with these smaller expenses. I, I guess that's the way I would put it. Correct, Becky? The time that you take to do that could be better spent on the bigger projects and the bigger items 
that really require that kind of attention because we do have a lot of routine expenses that are, that one time might have been below 1500 might have been below 3000 but at the last I don't know handful of council meetings I'm hearing well we had to come to you because the prices have gone up and we're living with this $3,000 expense so I have a question would it make any sense to just eliminate always having to change the number you know five years you're gonna need $40,000 to buy stuff um, to tie it to a percentage of your overall budget do cities ever give like, mayor can spend X amount of the city of Brexville's budget without seeking council approval or the director of a department like recreation can spend X amount of dollars of her overall budget without approval and then you have say it's 10% I'm just throwing that out in whatever the, the ordinance is passed or the charter that's changed and then you don't have to ever deal with it again because the, as inflation and cost of living and everything continues to go up you're still going to have that percentage that we're all comfortable trusting our directors to spend as doing their their jobs does anybody do that is that totally stupid or that's an interesting idea Denise that's that's unique Denise um, um, I'm not aware of any community that gives a mayor that that authority but that's 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 unique but that same concept that came same concept of having an automatic adjustment in place is what we already have in section five we don't have we for forbidding we don't have a number in the charter forbidding we tie ourselves to the general laws of the state of ohio and as i said at one time that would have been 10 or 15 then it was 25 and now it's 50. so what happens is that type of expense um, increase has been changed in state law and as that changes out of necessity in state law our charter has changed so right, our charter has changed that on public bidding but we could underneath that yeah we could we could do anything we we could say that that should be one half whatever the general laws of the state of ohio provide or a percentage of what the uh, laws of ohio provide so you could do that but i'm not sure that i would be in favor of giving any mayor a percentage right on a budget because you could have a great budget year mm -hmm. as far as the revenue into the community and I'm not so sure that's 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 necessary to do if you have these and I meant everybody checks. not just the mayor like yeah. your director right. head everything right. would be tied to right. what and I the think budget is I don't know if I'd feel comfortable abdicating to the state of Ohio for just because they raise their limits the city of Brexville raises their limits and it sounded like and I might have misinterpreted it that the, the state of Ohio went to 50,000 in 2012, mm -hmm. but Brexville stayed back at 25,000 for public bids. So mm -hmm. we, I don't know how that fit into the charter of how the charter said we needed to go to 50, but the city of Brexville stayed at 25. Because it says competitive building should be carried out by the laws of the state of Ohio now and hereafter the governing competitive building process, da, 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 da. it doesn't say, or by ordinance. So I don't know how the city did it anyhow. I don't, Dave, correct well, me if I'm less, wrong. You can be less restrictive. Yeah, I think it's up to 50. Like, it doesn't mean that we would have had to, you, that 
that the state law isn't saying the state you have was to up go to 50. To 50. We stayed at 25. Right. It was a policy. It's right. But I mean, the charter doesn't say up to the amount of, it just says bidding shall be had and carried out as required by the laws of Ohio. And I don't know what the laws of Ohio well, are. The law of Ohio might say at 50,000, you have, have to, to do it. Right. You can do whatever you want underneath. Okay. Right. right. But I think it's an interesting idea, percentage-wise, and of the stuff that I think you'll have a you'd have a very very difficult time right. having residents well, understand. Well, you know, point zero zero six three percent of you know the general fund. I mean that that I, that I don't think would ever pass. Um, I have a question, Becky, just to clarify. In your in this document you passed out here today. Yes. Are, so are you, so I'm following here. So. Are you saying if, if, if the recommendation from you would be to eliminate section four completely, and then is your suggestion of adding that 5B, does that sort of replace the four? Or what, what am I, There's, I'm not sure I'm following there. Just clarify that for me. There is the suggested wording of a section five public bidding would actually replace section five advertisement for bids. Okay. And it's just, it's just slightly revising the language in section A to refer to our bid threshold as well as expenditures underneath the bid threshold okay. being governed by city ordinance. And then yes, it adds the additional language for B again, just a suggestion. We wouldn't have to, it's like a further definition of so, yes. So, so that, that language then if I'm following you correctly and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm not, cause I, I'm probably not, but, um, Th that's then the reason or that's the the theory of getting rid of section four with the specific limit for council is by having the section five reworded so then it's basically by ordinance for council is that is that correct Am yes I that, that it would mean that those the all those limits that right. i publish in my purchasing policy would be approved via ordinance approved by council okay and you're not stating like right now we state three thousand dollars okay and you either have to go on the ballot or wait 10 years to change it okay this is just and this is how as i mentioned all other charters were were designed stated the public bid threshold governed by ohio law and that expenditures underneath the public bidding threshold are up to council to via council via ordinance approved by council. Okay. And so then, if five years from now we wanted to make any kind of edit to those, we could readdress that. I'm sorry, with council mm -hmm. and through any um, extensive process we would want to that we felt would be necessary. As I mentioned, through like the finance committee, public meetings, it does not have to be something that's closed off mm -hmm. I mean I, it certainly from a practical side I think that those recommendations are, are are very good my only concern would be you know how would the public perceive getting rid of section 4 which is 
hey, here's how much council can spend, and now they read, okay, they're eliminate, they want to eliminate that, and they want to add this, but hey, where's the where's the dollar where's value? The what does this mean, and how much is that going to be? And I I just, I just don't know that that I mean I think we, we would have a we'd have to spend a lot of time, you know formulating why we're doing this and how it plays and i think that you know it, it certainly is worth talking about for sure because obviously the 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 limits need to go substantially up um i just don't know if the the populace the voters will right. without seeing specific limits of some sort that that will pass and, and in today's day and age where everyone, you know, they'd probably like us to go back down to, you know, hey, every dollar we want to have council <laughs> voting on, you know, right. unless it goes through the BZA, then they don't have to vote. But no, uh, so. <laughs> Calm down. I know. Calm down. So, um, you know, so I, I think that that would be the only potential drawback on that. Otherwise, I mean, you know, I think that a lot of that makes a lot of sense and it certainly jives with what the other department heads have come in saying, you know, we'd love to have 7,500 or 10,000 for us, you know, especially as we talked with the police and fire when, you know, they have a, a repair to a vehicle that, you know, those vehicles, I mean, you get a screw and a tire is 10,000 bucks, you know, right. um, where they don't have to wait for the council process to, to get that, that would, you know, those things are definitely going to need to be considered. So, you know, these are great great thoughts great ideas to you know that you put in place here and it's going to be very helpful for us to talk yes. these things through in in future uh in future meetings for sure and you're absolutely right any change would be appreciated by mm -hmm. all of our users our buyers and right. um and there's probably a happy medium in there and there and the other example of still publishing it in the charter is certainly an option and sure. as mr maddie mentioned there are options if there if there became big changes that we needed to address within 10 years mm -hmm. yeah so again you know the other option would be keep section four and we just come up with a, a new value Number. that we would suggest that you know be mike yeah so that was one of my thoughts is because greg you brought up a great point about charter require passing from our residents right and that could be a tough thing and you know if I hadn't come to this meeting I'd be like a $3,000 seems like a good number that's a lot of money I don't want to spend it but I think Becky what you proposed is awesome as far as removing section it's like an out-of-the-box thing because it seems like it just stands here it's it's out of place meaning okay everything over $3,000 needs council approval but what about everything else um, and you know um, so I don't even know could a provisional ordinance be started so that let's say we propose to remove section four but before the, the the residents of the city would vote on it we had an ordinance teed up that says this ordinance is going to replace section yeah. four i don't even know if it's a possibility but so they they had an idea that we could we could say this would be our provisional ordinance if this passes this is what we would go with we have it all ready to go well, council's on board the ordinance is what's Michael, I would not tee up any ordinance no. ahead of okay. the residents' vote. No. Can't. I mean, it's a nullity, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise we do that. No. Okay. And then my one, the only things that I saw, what Becky, what you brought forth was, uh, you know, I, in the existing procedure limits, it's strongly recommended. <laughs> I thought that was 
like it, like somebody you should get quotes if you could do it like multiples i know understand it's a 500 dollar thing and um and then the one that scared me was the city of strongsville was the zero to fifteen thousand yeah. oral quotes oh i know some, uh, some i would hope them. that the city would never allow an oral no. quote because in my personal life every oral quote we've done from our yard or hoa or whatever <laughs> has turned into a complete disaster um so. Yeah, some of these were very surprising. Yes. Becky, thank you. Thank you. Can I just say one more thing, just so yeah. I understand? So, if what language we propose, if we propose anything, we mm -hmm. vote on proposing. If it doesn't pass, or if you need more money further on, what is the avenue to fix that, or is there? Council David, council can make an ordinance. So under it said, if finances in section four in the current charter is to remain, which states the dollar amount of the council approval limits, it can be amended via ordinance if necessary before the next charter review. Well, wait a minute. That wait says minute. it in her. In her That's um, my comment, her Dave. Comment. So I was just confused. Whereas I, I didn't know what that meant. When I confirmed with you, you actually said something different there we that would go to ballot correct yeah well okay. I you know, it, it, it's correct as to what um, the purchasing director has that it can be amended via ordinance but that ordinance needs to go to the ballot right. okay because it's council a change at any, council at any time can send a matter for charter amendment to the ballot and they would do that through ordinance okay. that's what I thought too but I just yeah. wanted to clarify because I read this and I didn't quite yep. understand so it would definitely have to be another process where it goes to the election. Yeah. Yes. So if yes. we, if Which we could propose be. removing four and it failed, then they were stuck with three thousand dollars until, until they have to they get the next election cycle. Right. Or whenever, not well, on the ne but well, ne the they can put it on the ballot. Yeah, next time on the ballot. Yeah. On the ballot. Hey, Becky, I had a question for you. You can choose not to answer if you want. <laughs> uh, so, just since you put so much thought into this, right? And let's say removing section four, it's a coin flip in the city of Brexville. It may or may not be, but I'm just saying it is, right? And if you put, if you expanded section four to talk about all expenditures and it was proposed to a charter amendment that we used your post-research recommendation numbers because it might have a better chance of passing because it's hard numbers versus getting rid of it. Which way would you hedge your bets? Like, would you say, hey, I want to roll the dice on four, or I'll take the hard numbers knowing that every 10 years? So you're saying publishing all the limits? Within section, expanding section four. Or to include? To include a bunch of stuff and or removing a section four. I have to say that my bet would probably say we'd be more successful with providing more information. I don't disagree with that. And we have not changed any of our procedural limits for, a very, for as long as I have been with the city. So I don't think I would see an issue with providing more information and I also think that your discussion could lead to not necessarily you know maybe like I said a happy medium right in, in those numbers um, yeah, or it just or it just hits what it currently is is just change the number for council and not have to do the department head limit the mayor limit and council can determine that's that. all by ordinance right now meaning right. one to five hundred not one to 
sub 500 is by mm-hmm. ordinance now, right? Yeah, that's not in the charter. Okay, right. I'm just, just the saying, three, just the council, just the sorry. council piece. So I guess that would be the other thing is you just go after the council. Pick a piece, number, yeah. Pick a number, twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, whatever it is, and right. roll the dice on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those. I mean, those will be the options, options that right. we'll talk. Figured about. why we had you here. I just wanted to get your thoughts. <laughs> Becky, one. I have a couple of um, a items on um, the other uh, before you get to your. Um, the yes. human resources one. So under your section six proposal, the sale of municipal property. Yes. So I just have a couple of questions. I just want to uh, clarify. So um, and, and see if you know what you've suggested maybe um, has a little. It's it's narrowed down a little too much, um, perhaps. Where so number one is does it would it make because I. I it, what you've put in here is definitely how things are operating, right? And it, it definitely, you know, cleans up and, and specifies how things really are going. And you're adding, obviously, the director of public service to it, which I think makes a lot of sense. My question on <clears throat> being as specific, where you say to start off with at public sale via internet auction, that may be obviously how things are going now. Um, you know, over in into the future, we don't know how these things will be done. Is it does it make sense to kind of broaden that statement or eliminate? You know, it, it's only via an internet auction. Um, I mean, or, or, or Dave, you know, language that could you know not limit that to one particular process mm-hmm. to to get rid of that stuff um, well, I mean it, 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 if, if uh, Becky how long has that been in process how many years is the internet your gov oh it's been, a, gov? It's over been a, a decade over a decade we, we you could you could broaden that by saying by by internet auction or other um, similar uh, auction similar. other similar auction authorized by council by ordinance okay it has to be auction so right. yeah or other yeah yeah, you could broaden that so that council has That's the authority point. by an ordinance to to yeah. add much like the purchasing director right now we were always limited to just state purchasing bids mm-hmm. and through Becky's diligence and searching we now have four or five mm-hmm. types of governmental authorities that we can go to and get the value of their prices and their vendors and do it without bidding which is invaluable as far as time mm-hmm. so that same kind of concept could be applied mm-hmm. there mr chairman thank you and the other item in there um and i just wanted to clarify so the next uh sentence you say those articles of personal property deemed of no value or is unsafe by the director of purchasing and the director of public service should it be both of you having to determine that that is or should that read director of purchasing or the director well, of i mean mm-hmm. so that's Correct. all i'm wondering like it's yes. not something you two don't have to both sign off on Good right point. Okay. absolutely i agree okay thank you again it's it's great stuff i just wanted no. to make sure that because someone could read that and say hey you know the director of purchasing said so where's the director of services signature on approving that or whatever oh, that's, so that's great, okay great. that's good and then um Maybe that was the only other. And then I, I do like your um, suggestion on Section 8 of, um, you know, breaking out 
that and then we'd have to refer back to the finance director position to potentially reword yeah. her response or that position's that. responsibilities as well which you stated in there so um yeah i think that the, those are good catches becky very thank you very good um did anybody else have any comments or questions yeah mayor yep yep um, what i intend on doing after listening to this this evening uh, regarding uh, purchasing i'd like to write a summary of the history of uh, how our city got to where we are um, First of all, the original level issue came up in the Charter of 1956, as you'll see. But the, we didn't have a director of purchasing. We had a service director that was in charge of the purchasing. And we changed that uh, several years ago and created the purchasing director's position and removed some of that responsibility from the director of public service. Uh, the ordinance by council, and I, again, instead of me going through all this, let me just put it down on paper, uh, Mr. Chairman, I'll, yep. I'll submit it to you, because it looks like some of the changes that are being suggested, and I respect uh, uh, Becky's opinion on a lot of things, and you'll see that when I address you next year, the directors have all been told to submit whatever they think is in the best interest of the city, and then, you know, I'll comment, and I'm sure they'll comment, and you can make your decision on, on, on whether it should go on, on the charter or not. But um, I just would like to clarify some of that, uh, Greg, so there's, yep. cause there might be a, 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 a change that's going back to an old old way, and, and I'm not sure that, that that's necessarily the way we should do it, but uh, I'll put it in writing and send it to you. Okay, awesome. Thank and you, Mayor. One other thing, you, you all keep saying, every 10 years. No, it could be changed. You know, council can pass an ordinance next month and put it on the ballot yeah. in the next general election. It doesn't have to be 10 years. But the reason that it has been 10 years is the fine work of these commissions. And the city adhering to what the commission put before and what the voters said, we followed it. And I don't hear anybody beating on the door to make any changes in the last 10 years, other than a couple issues that may have come up that were placed on the ballot, but not by the council, were placed on the ballot by the electorate. So please don't think that it's, That's you know, that point. we sit back and wait for 10 years. But if something needs to be addressed, it, it should be and would be addressed. Absolutely, correct. Mr. Chairman? Yes. When is the proper time to ask about real estate purchases? In the from the from this section, fire away. Are you involved in real estate purchases? How are the city's real estate purchases handled? I am only involved from like the advertising, the the RF, the request for proposal processes. If it's if it's held in a an administrative administrative process, I administer those. But as far as which angle are you talking about, the contractual parts? How are the decisions to purchase made? Mayor, that would probably be uh, more. Is your question, how, how do we buy land? How do we sell land? How do you decide whether or not you're going to buy it? For example, we recently went through, each, uh, there was a number of people in the city who wanted Highland to be purchased for $1.4 million. Who makes those decisions? The council. The council would make that decision if they wanted 
to purchase it, either by a recommendation of council itself, recommendation by the mayor, recommendation by the public. Um, by a simple majority or? I, I, what, what do you mean? I mean, council would have to then decide if they wanted to make that kind of an expenditure. Uh, that's a council decision. So just a simple majority of council could go out and spend $1.4 million? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mr. Chairman, may I yes. add a comment? Yes. So the, you know, there there are things along the way that are expensive, Eric. Not just land, right? So, I mean, what comes to mind is um, Director Reiser mentioned our, you know, new fine our new finance accounting system that's going to be put in place. You know, that's a significant expenditure, and I want to say one point four one point four million over the course of three years implemented in phases. And so I don't know if there's, I just wanted to point that out, that there are other large expenditures that council has the ability to approve. It's not just a, right. a piece I'm, of I'm property. I'm just looking at what other cities have done, questionable uh, expenditures other cities have made on property. Uh, and again, Highland is a prime example. Highland seems to be have been overvalued at 1.4 million. Uh, yet the city could have made that decision, or people in the city could have made that decision. Um, yeah, but that, this is—that's not a charter issue, though, Eric. I mean, what's—is there a question on the charter that you're asking about? Not so much. Okay, well, we'll keep it to the okay. charter stuff then. I wasn't—I wanted to just clarify. I mean, Thank you, Greg. Could be, the charter has limits on all sorts of things. Could the charter include a limit on purchases? But then we're, who would council go to to get approval? Or again, it could be something like a super majority. Mm -hmm. um, again, having four people making decisions of that magnitude, um, or even a larger magnitude. Um, well, that's what they're—they are. I mean, that's their job. That's their what they're elected to do—to represent us and make whatever they believe is the best decision for the city um, I mean you know if I know I would always hear well you know I that should go to a vote of the people okay well you know should that or you know do we want to go to six thousand dollars to go to the vote of the people or six million or two million or two hundred thousand I mean at some point you have to trust the folks that have been elected to do to do their job and you know again I I, I don't see that as a as a as a charter issue that you know I, I don't I don't think that that has been an issue and I, I certainly don't see what you know what the particular thing is that we're getting at well like I said I just I've seen examples in other cities where they have bought real estate speculatively uh-huh um, and I would just wonder if that would be possible to somehow safeguard Drexel from those situations. Uh, Eric, I, I would tell you this. I think, I think what you're missing is right now the charter, as it relates to real estate, the charter has a provision under council's authority, which is also the authority in state law in what's called the Ohio Meetings Act or the Sunshine Law. Council has the authority, one of the matters that is permitted for an executive session, which is a private session of council. 
for the purpose of protecting the city so that either the entity that we are trying to buy land from or an entity that's trying to purchase land from us, we are permitted under the law to have what's called an executive session so that there is protection of the city's interest on either the cost of land that we're trying to sell or the price that we're trying to get for a piece of property that we are selling. And the process that this council and that this mayor's administration for as many years as I've been here, we follow that if they are discussing a purchase, I will be directed to negotiate a contract if that's what they wish to do with whatever entity we're buying the property from and a public ordinance will be produced with a contract for discussion publicly by council before we are authorizing the mayor to enter into that contract. So I don't know what other cities do, but this city has a very deliberate process in buying real estate and a very deliberate auction process for selling property and at the same time making sure that we know what the zoning of that property is to protect that sale so we don't end up with a white elephant of some sort that we didn't want. Excellent. So that's all that that's all question. currently in place as far as administration and council's procedures okay. to, to put you at least a little bit at rest well, no, for that, that issue. That addresses my, my question and okay. concern. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Dave. Does, it, um, does anybody have, um, before uh, Becky finishes up her um, presentation, does anybody have any um, questions or comments on any of Article six sections, um, obviously the ones that we've we've gone over, but there's also a couple, you know, uh, section one, two, and three, um, and seven, which um, you know Becky didn't really uh, touch on with any recommendations. Um, Becky, do you do you have any input or any that's really not in your? No. That's more the finance director, right? Correct. And again, I don't recall that the finance director had any comments or issues on on that section on any of those sections of uh, article six um if anybody has any questions on those um we can certainly you know come back to the finance director if, if need be um, again i i don't have anything on there but um just looking on anybody else in the commission that would have any questions or comments on anything on that no mayor real quick do you do you have any um comments or um, questions or answer any questions if anybody has any on um, the annual budget appropriation section limitation on rate of taxation um, any of any of those items is there was there anything that the administration would want us to consider or look at on those no not at, not at this time and i don't have any other questions or comments okay Hey, Greg, I just have one quick question since you brought it up. Mm -hmm. uh, regarding budget, is there anything that limits the, the city from projecting a loss? Or like, could you budget a loss in the city of Brexville? We, we have to have a balanced budget. Okay. It's required. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. I no, mean, that's there's fiscal that, emergencies. There's different things you can declare. But you can't budget a loss. You have to, have a, you have to budget for a balanced budget. You have to budget the revenues that you, you anticipate you're going yep. to get 
in the expenditures that you're going to make in the after balance. Perfect. We're not like the government, we can't go and say, I mean, other government. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do what they do. Okay, great. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Becky, do you want to comment then on your, um, your yes. other suggestion? Thank you. Uh, so again, back to my letter of October 7th, um, I had one non-purchasing related item, um, a recommendation where I did want to share that uh, I would recommend consideration of adding a department for human resources to be conducted by a director of human resources who would report directly to the mayor. Um, for my time here, I have been fortunate to work with two exceptional individuals who served in the position, um, one serving now as the payroll and personnel supervisor. Um, but under both of those individuals and under two very qualified and competent finance directors during those times, I still have always felt the need for this change. Um, Chairman, I guess this is my BZA item. I wanted, I didn't want to miss my opportunity to just share my opinions on, on this. Um, based on my previous experiences in the private sector, as well as my time here at the city, I believe strongly that employees must have and feel comfortable confiding in human resources should any type of issue arise um, with supervisors, with peers, um, the payroll and personnel supervisor currently reports directly to the director of finance. Um, that's, as you know, is a position that directly impacts budgets, salaries. Um, we have two additional employees in the finance department um, who effectively cross-train for the payroll and uh, personnel supervisor, which is a healthy environment for what they have structured right now. Um, but giving them access to uh, personnel information. This creates an environment and a perception um, where there are inevitably going to be situations where employees may not have that necessary comfort level, level to confide. It's not often, but it happens. And um, as I've heard it discussed in your previous meetings um, by watching, um, the city is a business and we have over 150 employees. So in my opinion, I just feel this is a topic worthy of discussion. And that's all. Great. Thank you so much, Becky. I appreciate your detailed um, notes to us and your, and your presentation this evening. Thank you. And thank you for the time and appreciate your, your serving on this commission. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Chairman. Yes. I did uh, look up to see other communities, and most of them do have dedicated human resource personnel and our departments. In the charter? Yes. Okay. Okay. That's good. Craig, I'm assuming that's going to be on our list of things. Yeah. Oh, well. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. I probably missed it. I'm just going to jot it down just to make sure I add it to my spreadsheet. Okay, um, moving on on our agenda, we're, we're nearing the end here. Um, are there any matters that anybody wishes to talk about or bring up um, here this evening before we get on to the public side of things? Uh, 
Um, I do want to just uh, mention um, a couple of things. So we have our next meeting on uh, Wednesday, December 7th at 6.30, and we will be discussing, uh, discussing the rest of the charter, which is Articles 7 through 12. Um, so, you know, review and brush up on those. Um, there's no interview scheduled. That's just strictly going to be... Um, you know, a discussion uh, on those items from our uh, our commission here, and then if um, Mayor or, or Mr. Maddie is here, you know, we can uh, ask questions of them as well. Um, so that will be December 7th at 6.30, Articles uh, 7 through 12. Um, I also did want to uh, schedule our two January meetings, if possible. Um, once we get through the December 7th meeting, that will complete our first overview of the entire charter, all the sections, all of our interviews, so on and so forth. As we move into January, that's really where we'll start to, you know, go through our, our topics, the ones we want to, um, you know, look at again and start, um, you know, getting into a little more detail on, on those and whether we want to pursue them further or not. And then, um, you know, that, that'll help us, uh, you know, get, get those topics down and, um, figure out which uh, which ones we want to potentially um, propose to to the public um, so on that list that we had of potential meeting dates um, we had a Wednesday January 4th and a Wednesday January 18th um, as we had discussed previously we'd like to get a Saturday meeting uh, perhaps there in January would um, the vast majority of us be available on Saturday, January 28th in the morning, like maybe a 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. meeting. How does that look on anyone's schedule? That would be better for me. Is the date okay? Yeah, okay. So the 28th is good. Laura, how does that look for you? I mean, I know, I mean, not 100 percent sure yeah you might you be shushing down any. the slopes so yeah <laughs> okay so uh, mike how's yours look so far that's Looks fine okay denise good yep. guys good good mm -hmm. good and eric you said the 28th would be good okay mr chairman would that replace the 18th um that's what i'd be looking at yeah yeah so what's that replace the fourth <laughs> um so um okay so uh we'll stick with the january 4th so we got December 7th, then we'll be off throughout the holidays. We'll go January 4th at uh, 6.30 p.m., which is a Wednesday. And then we will um, do Saturday, January 28th. Uh, Eric, you said 10 o'clock would work for you? Okay. We'll go with a, a 10 a.m. start. Um, and uh, all, all, those, all three of those meetings will be uh, here in, in council chambers. So, again, Wednesday, December 7th. 6:30 Wednesday January 4th 6:30 and Saturday January 28th at 10 a.m. and then we'll worry about the February meetings uh, in January. Um, anything else for the commission to consider at this point, Dave? Mr. Chairman, uh, just to let the commission know, I will be late for the December 7th meeting. I have a 5:30 meeting, so I will. I do not think I'll be here by 6:30, but I should be here by 7 or 7:30. Okay, and I, I believe the mayor may not be able to be here either for the seventh. He said he may have a conflict, but th that's okay. Um, he said he really didn't have anything to offer on those sections either at this point. So um, we'll get through that one. Um, 
are there any comments or questions for anybody from the public? Ma'am, would you uh, step up and state your name and address for the record and go from there? Is the is the mic on there, Becky? Okay. Um, Mary Gunsler, um, and I reside at 9494 River Birch Run. I just wanted to read something. Um, Dear Charter Commission, I am here tonight to speak on some statistics and how they relate to the Charter. The first is that the City of Brexville is 51% women, meaning women are the majority in Brexville. Consistently, women have been underrepresented on boards and or commissions. Two of the most important boards are zoning and planning. There are zero women on the planning commission and one woman on zoning. There are roughly 49 board and or commission positions to volunteer and serve on. At least three have zero women unrepresented. Commentary has been given about the rigorous interview process, yet this discrimination still occurs. Why? Two things are happening. Number one, Certain resident names are recycled, meaning that person comes off a board only to be appointed to another one. And number two, resumes are being kept on file for preference and further selection. The city's record retention schedule dictates that applications and resumes be kept for two years only. At least three people serving on boards fall within this category. To combat this discrimination, commentary is given that the pool of talent does not exist or that experience is lacking to fill these boards. Having made numerous record retention requests, I can say voluminously, overwhelmingly talent exists in outstanding experience. My point to this speech is that if the charter is not in favor of term limits on boards and or commissions, then please consider softly suggesting to council enforcement of internal requirements that foster diversification, diversification on board vacancies. Residents of young, old, male, female, new resident, lifetime resident, Caucasian, African American, Indian, Muslim should be represented. Some boards should even consider certain requirements to fill a board vacancy. For example, Someone who is on the <coughs> Recreation Committee should also be a paying member of the Recreation Center. Currently, the Rec Committee has one person that is serving on the committee, but isn't even a member of the Rec Center. For boards where residents have served over 10 years, invite new talent and let seasoned residents who have served act as mentors or act in some ad hoc capacity. I see value in historical knowledge but perspectives are unrepresented if you don't pull from a diversified pool of residents. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. Appreciate it. Thank you. Could you, um, Kristen, could you get a copy of her uh, letter just so we can have it for the, sure. is that okay? Thank you. Are there any other comments from anybody else in the public that disappeared? <laughs> so, okay. Um, hearing none, I will make a motion to adjourn this evening. Do I have a second? Second. Uh, motion by Scaljack, second by Golic.